Hi, I'm Nick Holland with ISMG. Today, I'm joined by Barbara Simons, currently board chair of the Verified Voting Foundation, former president of the Association for Computing Machinery, and a former senior technology advisor at IBM. Barbara is also the co-author of Broken Ballots, so she literally wrote the book on election security and voting machine tampering. Barbara, welcome. Thank you. So let me ask you, first of all, the core question that your book focuses on is how did the United States come to accept a voting system that could produce such unclear outcomes? So how did it? After Florida 2000, a number of people reached the flawed conclusion that paper wasn't good for voting because of the, you know, the dimpled chads and hanging chads and so on. And, and, therefore, and, and there was a push to move to computerized voting. Uh, which had a lot of appeal, especially to many election officials, because you could push the button at the end of the election and get the results, which is a lot nicer than having to hang around and count the ballots. Uh, and also because uh, election officials uh, wanted to do right by the voters and get them the newest and best equipment. And these computerized voting machines were being advertised as such. Basically, uh, there's a bit of a history behind this because as a result of Florida 2000 and 2002, Congress passed and legislation was signed into law that provided almost $4 billion, with a B, dollars to upgrade voting systems throughout the United States. And as I say, computers were brought into the mix on a very widespread basis without adequate testing, without adequate, without adequate standards and basically without consulting the, uh, the technology community sufficiently. Uh, but, but there was a big push because this money was available, because people wanted, because election officials wanted to move to the newest and greatest, because uh, vendors were telling the election officials, this has been federally certified, which is uh, sort of an ambiguous thing and they weren't really adequately tested at all. Uh, but it's, it's, you know, we have the federal stamp of approval. It, it, are, you know, it works perfectly. You push a button at the end of the day and you get the results and you go home. And no recounts. No, you know, it's, it's, it's easy peasy. And, 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 and there was this money to spend and some pressure to spend it. Another factor was that the Help America Vote Act, the law that provided all this money, required the, the, that election officials make it possible for voters with disabilities to vote independently uh, and privately in elections, which of course is a very good thing to do. And these computers, these they're really, they're voting computers, not, they're not voting machines, they're voting computers because everything now is computerized. But these voting computers facilitated voting by voters with vision uh, and mobility problems. Although in many cases they didn't facilitate it very well at all, but that was how they were being sold. And so there was this sort of gold rush mentality to run out and spend the money and get these shiny new uh, voting computers. So, the book was published in, in 2012, so we're six years on from that now, obviously. Um, so what do you see as the key vulnerabilities in today's voting systems and technology? And I guess the second part of that would be how can these be fixed? Well, as I said, what we really have are voting computers. And I think anybody who's been reading the news for the past few years understands that computers are vulnerable. They're certainly vulnerable to attacks, to hacking. They're also vulnerable to software bugs uh, and other unintentional mis errors that can occur. Uh, and, um, and yet, as a result of this early wrong perception that paper was not a good technology to use for voting, 
the initial, many of these initial voting computers that came out were paperless, which meant that it was impossible to do a recount. And uh, I'm actually pretty horrified by the fact that there are still 13 states in the United States today in which voters will be casting their ballots in this upcoming midterm election on paperless, unrecountable, vulnerable voting computers. Five of these states, in five of these states, everybody will be voting on these machines. And in another eight states, a, part, a portion of the population will be voting on them. So among the five states, for example, is Georgia, which is a big battleground state. In fact, there's actually a court case trying to force the state to use paper ballots. Hopefully that'll work, but that remains to be seen. Uh, but if it doesn't, then everybody in Georgia who casts a ballot at, in the polling place will be voting on these paperless machines that we have known how to hack since 2006 and that we can that we also know can be hacked remotely today in fact there's a video on the verified voting website uh made by alex halderman made by the new york times with alex halderman who's a professor university of michigan professor who's a technology fellow of ours showing how he can remotely hack into these machines and yet they are going to be used in in a critical midterm coming up in november another as i say eight states are partially paperless uh, a good example is Pennsylvania, where 83% of the population will be voting on paperless machines, again, that cannot be recounted. So if there's any question about the accuracy of the results, whether or not there's been any, any, any problems, either intentional or unintentional, there's no way to check these machines, which, uh, to my way of thinking, is, is, is a national disgrace. You know, I think you've probably answered my next question, which was that a couple of weeks ago, Facebook's previous chief security officer stated that the ship had sailed on securing the upcoming midterm elections. Um, and I guess, like you say, you probably just answered my question, but in your opinion, is it too late for the midterms? Oh, yeah, it's too late for the midterms. Uh, the only chance for anything happening, as I said, is in Georgia, where there's a court case um, where... The plaintiffs are trying to force the state to use paper ballots. It's getting, it's close to the midterms. I don't know how that case is going to be resolved, but that seems to be the only chance. Now, I, I just, if, if you don't mind, I, I would just like to comment on one thing, which is what we really need are what we call voter mark paper ballots as opposed to paper trails. Because one of the things that happened as a result of the Help America Vote Act and this push to get paperless voting, well, paperless voting computers is that um, early on, the technology community started yelling and screaming, saying, you can't have paperless, you can't have paperless. We, we know about computers and trust us, you can't trust them. You cannot trust the computers. You need to have, a, you need to have some way of checking them. So we were pushing something we called voter verified paper audit trails. And our idea was that there would be some paper that the voters would be able to preview and make sure that it correctly represented their votes and that it could be used in the event of a post-election ballot audit. What happened, however, was that the, um, the systems that came out in, in, in like the mid uh, 2007, eight around there, you know, in, in the mid aughts, shall we call them, the mid aughts? Anyway, the systems that came out were basically these touchscreen machines, again, the ones that were paperless that were kind of retrofitted with um, thermal printed continuous paper roll that typically was on the side of the machine. And this had many drawbacks. One is that the font often was very small and hard to read. 
Uh, a second was that the voters didn't realize that they were supposed to check these these things, and um, and in many cases, uh, according to tests that were done, uh, didn't check them. So they were not the um, check on the on the on the results that they were they were intended to be. A third problem is they're very hard to count and recount because it's this continuous roll thermal paper. It's like what you get in a gas station. It fades easily in light and it curls up if you cut it. And if you want to do like, if you want to count the ballots after an election, the best way to count them is the same way you would count a deck of cards or you would count dollar bills. You sort them into piles and you count each pile. But with these uh, thermal printed rolls of paper, it's very hard to do that. You either cut them and they curl up and they get to be a mess to handle or you have somebody who reads off of the uh, paper roll and somebody else who makes marks, which is a good way to make mistakes. Um, and as I say, the, the fonts can be hard to read to begin with and they're not particularly verified, so they're not particularly trustworthy. So what we have, what, what most of us have been advocating for are voter marked paper ballots that are ballots that can be sorted into piles and hand counted just like you would decks of cards or, or dollar bills. So Barbara, let's discuss internet voting and the issues with that. A lot of people think, I mean, a lot of very well-meaning people believe that internet voting will increase voter participation in general and participation by young people in particular. The fact is that we have no evidence that either is true and we have evidence to the contrary. The, the Canadian province of British Columbia did a large $400,000 study to examine internet voting because parts of Canada, municipalities in Ontario have been doing internet voting now for a while. And what they discovered was that it neither, neither increased voter participation nor did it increase participation by young people. What instead they discovered was that the same people who would have voted anyway were the ones who voted over the internet. So they either voted over the internet or they didn't, but the ones who did it were the ones who were going to vote. And it did not increase participation nor participation by young people or if it did, it was imperceptible. Now, if you even if it if even if it did increase participation, you have to contrast that with the risks where we have seen time and time again major institutions hacked into, broken into uh, because of internet by internet connections, and the notion that local election officials who are underfunded, under-resourced have little in the way of computer knowledge, let alone computer security knowledge available to them. In general, there are obvious exceptions. The idea that they would be able to protect their systems against, for example, a determined nation state, or even maybe a really smart teenager, uh, is, is um, unrealistic. We should not be putting our elections at risk by allowing anyone to vote over the internet at all. And, and one other quick comment I wanted to make, um, there's, there's been a recent push to have block, what they call blockchain voting. Blockchains, of course. I was going to mention blockchain. It's, it's a word that seems to come up a lot these days, clearly, is the kind of the, uh, the, the solution to all the problems we haven't thought of yet. That's right, that's right. Blockchains are the, are the latest, um, they will solve everything, that's right. And, um, one thing they do not solve is internet voting. They do not provide the security. They, they, they do not protect the voter's machine against uh, malware that could be uh, inserted on the voter's machine. They do not protect against denial of service attacks that could prevent the ballots from getting in. They cannot be used for voter authentication. They cannot protect the election officials' machines from various attacks. And then there are all kinds of other issues relating to how blockchains work, where uh, there could be ways of keeping, preventing ballots from being added to the blockchain to begin with. So, so blockchains 
are the latest buzzword, but they are not the answer in any shape or form uh, for the internet voting problem. We do not know how to conduct secure uh, elections over the internet at this time. And the idea that we would even consider it given that we know that Russia was messing with our elections in 2016. And we have been told by many intelligence officials, including members of the current administration, that we are still vulnerable, that Russia is still involved. The idea that anyone would even contemplate any kind of voting over the internet, to me, just seems like a real dereliction of duty that it's just not acceptable. Barbara, it was a fantastic conversation. Enjoyed reading the book and uh, being a little disturbed by it. It's um, clearly an ongoing issue. Um, that was Barbara Simons, who is the co-author of Broken Ballots. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Nick Holland.